0: Hey, hey hey! welcome to the Pastor Duke podcast from Sarasota, Florida. Oh, uh, 83 degrees today. I have a blessing for you and for me too. My beautiful firstborn daughter, Mrs. Leah Clem, will be our guest. We're going to go down memory lane a little bit. We're going to lift up Jesus. We're going to talk about tests and trials and blessings. So, uh... Welcome to Daddy's Podcast, Leah. When you were a little girl, there was no such thing as podcasts, but we got them now. So um, let me just uh, bring up one little thing that you did as a little girl. You don't remember this, but I do. Then I'm going to turn it over to you. You were um, in Mama's womb when we moved from uh, Springfield, Missouri to upstate New York. You were born on October 8th with severely clubbed feet and had six surgeries to fix them and you've lived a totally normal life and uh, you've been a huge blessing. Never, this young lady never broke mommy or daddy's trust and now you have three children who have not broken your trust. So Papa's bragging a little bit on that. But a memory I'm going to share is when you were about five, six years old, you'd always ask this question. If I was preaching in a church somewhere, you'd say, daddy, who's the big boss? And I say, well, you mean the pastor? Yeah, yeah. Who's the big boss? And I'd tell you a name. We'd be in a grocery store. You say, "Daddy, who's the big boss? And you mean the manager? Yeah. Who's the big boss? I'd, I didn't usually know that answer to that. So uh, you just asked that question over and over again. And so one day I asked you, why do you always ask that question? And you looked at me like I was a dummy, like, duh, that's the simplest question in the whole world. And you said, you find out who the big boss is, then you're really nice to them and you get what you want. (laughs) (laughs) You don't remember that, but I do. Uh, So um, what's it like growing up in a preacher's home, preacher kid? uh,
1: Well, that's the only thing I've ever known. So I really can't compare it to uh, anyone else. But as I've grown older and I see other families, I know we had something special. Um, I know you and mom moved to the Northeast You know, when mom was expecting me and we didn't have um, any family around. So our small nuclear family was the core and the solid rock of our family. And so life was lots of fun. We lived really close to the church, like walking distance. And so it was part of our daily life. You always included us in all of the ministry things that you did. We traveled with you as you spoke at other churches. I remember going to lots of youth camps with you. I was little, but they were for teenagers, which I absolutely adored. You let me stay in the cabins with the older girls. to so have lots of fun memories of that. And I remember some times that were really special. You Probably a few nights a week, you'd go into people's homes and teach Bible studies.
0: Ooh, this is one of my favorite parts of what she's going to talk about now.
1: So we would go with you, you know, to the Bible study, and typically they would always have children, and so we would just play in another room and just hang out, get to know people, and on our way home, the you best are, part happened. You were
0: our babysitters, <laughs> and the families loved you guys, because uh, the children of these families were trying to reach for Christ. Uh, their their kids fell in love with you and Rachel. And those kids like, we like that church. And I know very few parents in upstate New York that will disobey their children. (laughs) If their children want to come to the church, then then we got them. So I was using you guys uh, as babysitters and uh, to hook your hearts up with their children. And it really, really works.
1: Definitely. And it was time with you, which we loved. And then the best part was the ride home. We'd always stop at the local gas station, Stewart's, and get our favorite chocolate malted milkshakes. and. All of your kids and grandkids still drink those today and think of you. So. Yes,
0: and I, I'm celebrating diabetes as a result of that too. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is part of our uh, family uh, doctrine: uh, chocolate malted milkshakes. So, uh, hopefully, they'll have those in heaven.
1: I also remember going <laughs> to Sweden. Oh, I don't. I think you went 17 times. I think I went three or four times, but we went as a family, and then we went. Uh, we coordinated youth trip to Sweden one summer. So that's definitely a highlight of my childhood. Just meeting so many people over there that we've stayed in touch with even today. So doing those trips with you, that that was. I think it was really like 1991,
0: 92. You were just just a middle school girl, mm-hmm. I think, first time you went. But I remember a moment uh, last night being in Sweden when you guys were with us, um, and we'd had those uh, youth meetings and have 25, 30 teenagers, Swedish teens show up and none of them had heard the gospel before. And a number of them came to, to know Christ as savior. And I remember that last night they came to say farewell to us we had a party and it started at six o'clock and I think everybody left around 11 o'clock and you're heading back up the stairs to go to bed that night or last night in Sweden on that trip and you cried and uh, it was, they were happy tears, mm-hmm. but you cried and you realized that you're going home to a youth group. And these kids here have no youth group, but from that started a youth group, mm-hmm. Sheldon do you have any recollection of that meeting and what you were feeling that night?
1: I don't remember that night specifically, but I just know there was a lot of unity on that trip and a lot of fun memories. And I think being a Christian in the United States, you know, we just take things for granted. There's just so many church options And I think a lot of times we become consumer Christians. And so we're looking for things we can take from the church. And I think when you are in a new situation overseas, you realize what you have in the United States and extremely grateful for that because we are very, very blessed in the United States. But at the same time, your heart goes out to those in other countries that don't have the same setups. They don't have the same opportunities, but at the same time, it's an opportunity for their faith to grow. And so to get to be a part of that, it definitely shaped me when, you know, I was a younger teenager into Mm -hmm. the woman I am today.
0: I think the last mission trip you took prior to your college experience was to Mexico with pastor Joe and youth group and it was like 40. No, it was people?
1: a really big trip. I can't remember yeah, how and many people. the bus people, uh,
0: air conditioner broke down. You guys went all the way across Texas and Mexico with no air conditioning. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Well, you got back that night, and I'd had a bad day. I had been slammed down by the town planning board for a bunch of lies that a neighbor had told about me, didn't want me to do a, a, a building project for our new house. And uh, they were all lies. It was all found out to be lies. But it, it stopped the project and delayed it a whole year. I was vindicated, but I was discouraged that night. You got home from the bus came in and we picked you guys all up. We went home and, uh, you were buzzing. It was your first time in third world conditions on a mission trip. And I think you had over a hundred kids saved uh, during the time in Mexico. And, and so we got back and you, you told me dad, we need to talk. And we did, I was kind of low. And you said to the audience here, she was setting up her daddy here. You said, dad, you need to understand something. I will never go into the ministry. My heart sunk. And then she smiled at me and said, I'm staying in. It's all I've ever known. And it's all I ever want. And she kept her word. From there, you went off to Word of Life Bible Institute when it was time after graduation. What happened up at Word of Life? (laughs) Well, Word of
1: Life is a great start to um, becoming an adult. And so after graduating high school, Myself and quite a few of my friends, we all went for our freshman year to the Bible Institute. And we were really familiar with it because we had gone to camps there and worked summer programs there. So it was like a second home to us. But at that program, you really get immersed in God's word and you have a pretty strict schedule. And so you uh you grow quite a bit in that one year, and so you're exposed to a lot of great speakers and a lot of service opportunities they really put take you out of your comfort zone and so I did that my freshman year, and lo and behold, I met my husband word
0: of life bridal institute
1: that was not necessarily something I was planning to do, but I met Chad. In January of 98 he saw me doing some interpreting for the deaf there at the camps and came up to me and let me know that he wanted to learn a foreign language and so I started teaching him some sign language and the rest is history and we will be celebrating our 22nd wedding anniversary this August
0: yes uh, past the Chad <laughs> That is I and my sweet little girl, and uh, he has been a great blessing to our family. We're going to come back and talk a lot more about that down the road. But uh, you mentioned signing. Our story with uh, the deaf ministry in our church is just amazing. Let me give the background. I'll turn it over to you, Leah. The guy who introduced me to my wife, Joellen, summer of 76, Dave Balka, Pastor Dave Balka he became, had a little brother who was deaf, and the family were um, unfaithful Catholic people. They didn't really go to church much. And their younger brother got invited out to the Bill Rice Ranch, summer camp for deaf kids, it was gloriously saved. Little Kenny, he was about 14 years old, came home on fire, Witness to the family. They could see something had changed. Long story short, uh, the whole family got saved. God called Dave to preach, and uh, he was serving at Cook Temple Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan. He was a bus driver, and um, uh, he had a, a call from a Sunday, uh, a young lady who wanted to ride on the Sunday school bus. It turned out to be Joellen Pangrazi, now Miss Joellen, my wife. So Dave introduced me to Joellen, and it was through deaf ministry that Dave came to Christ. And Dave uh, uh, had this special uh, family that ministered to the deaf, uh, Skaggs, Ed and Phyllis Skaggs. And he said, you got to have me in your church. You got to have me in your church. You got to start a deaf ministry. So we had ev- ministered to everybody else. Why not minister to the deaf? So we had them come in. We had a guy, Richard Bogard. He was an, um, a structural engineer, architect-type guy for the state of New York. He came to church. First time he ever heard the gospel in his own language, sign language. He got saved, gloriously saved. And he brought his good friend, uh, Betty Tremarki, to church with him. And instantly we had a deaf ministry. There was a gal who was in our church, who knew sign language pretty well, Diane Ritchie. And Diane kind of stepped up to the plate and said, well, I'll interpret. She was a little rusty, need to work on it. And so we started Deaf Ministry from scratch. Summer programs came up and we wanted to change things up for the kids. We said, well, let's do a little sign language class for the children. And uh, both of Pastor Duke's kids, Leah and Rachel, jumped in with both feet and take it from there.
1: Yeah. So I was seven years old and my sister Rachel was five years old and we just started taking the weekly class uh, along with a bunch of our friends. It was lots of fun. Our teacher was Kevin and he put up with a lot, but he taught us a lot. Kevin became
0: an attorney and is now the town supervisor for the town of Half Moon, New York. So he's, he's a big person in our lives.
1: Absolutely. And he's also fluent in ASL. So I'm very, very thankful for his patience Um, When you learn anything as a child, it usually just sticks, and uh, Rachel and I definitely have been blessed with the gift of being able to be fluent in sign language, and I wouldn't say we expected it, but we just kind of started interpreting. Um, When we were kids, I remember every time we would go to a camp, there'd always be like a deaf child there, and we would just chat with them and there wasn't interpreters provided. So we just kind of started doing it. Um, I probably would not want to watch myself doing that, (laughs) but, uh, we learned a lot right in the field and we signed all through high school. We became friends with a lot of deaf teenagers, a lot came to the church. And so we just continued learning. This is before the internet and all the available resources today to learn sign language, but we didn't give up. And Dad, something I remember, um, I don't even know how old we were, probably middle school age. We, I remember going to a restaurant one night, and remember that lady that was sitting across? I remember. <laughs> uh, she was just having difficulty communicating with the the waiter, and we realized that she was deaf. And my dad immediately got us both up, and he's like, we're going to go talk to her. And so he kind of pushed us in front of her, and... Rachel and I were extremely shy and insecure about knowing sign language. Um, but that doesn't stop my dad. And so we had a really nice conversation. Of course, my sister and I had to voice what she was signing. And it was a very awkward thing for us, but he always encouraged us to use the gift that we had. And dad today, Rachel and I are both freelance interpreters. We've had wonderful careers in it. We absolutely love what we do. We've met some amazing deaf people. Uh, we have amazing colleagues. It's just a really fabulous career to have. Um, I would say it doesn't even feel like work most days. It's just a gift to be able to work with deaf children all the way uh, to deaf professionals, just the variety of things we've been exposed to. So I appreciate that you uh, took us out of our comfort zone lots of times and, um, you know, and just encouraged us to do something um, that was completely different. There was no interpreting programs in colleges at that point, and now there's a huge need for it in America, probably worldwide, actually. But Mm -hmm. um, it's a great honor to get to do that job.
0: I remember when you first were jumping in as little kids, you loved it because you could talk at church and I couldn't hear you. You'd hide your little hands behind the seats, and you would chit chat with your friends who were also learning sign language, and you could get away with it. That was amazing.
1: Say we still sit at the dinner table, and Rachel <laughs> and I can have years later. conversations just privately in front of everyone.
0: <laughs> also, I remember as you were learning, uh, the the Lord brought the Lindheimer family into church with a little boy who was deaf. He sat in the service as a seven year old, and he I was t- teaching about David and Goliath. I think that day and through the interpreter, he heard the gospel, he heard the the Bible message, and he was so uh, moved by it. And he was asking questions to his family on the way home from church. And the Lindheimers just as, became this great, giant, fabulous family in our church. And they said, well, they speak my, child, my child's language. We'll be back. And we started mainstreaming, Eric, into our Sunday school and junior church programs. And you and Rachel became um, interpreters for him. And you guys were, I don't know, nine, 10 years old. It was yeah. really, really young. And then course at camp at Word of Life, the leaders saw my girls uh, signing to these deaf kids. And you know, where are you from and where did you learn sign language? Well, we learned it at church. Where do you go to church? Temple Baptist and half moon. Is that where Pastor Duke is the pastor? Yeah. And so Word of Life started having a deaf week and they would call my girls and say, when do you want to come to camp? And they would get to go to camp for free, but they were interpreting the whole week for the deaf kids. So it's amazing how that turned into a career, and you guys make really good money <laughs> signing. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And so the deaf uh, ministry has been huge in in our lives, uh, and in your lives, and uh, it was never really our plan. It's just something that God did, and uh, you don't probably even hardly remember learning sign language. You just kind of learned it as a child, and have you had any real formal training in it?
1: No, I mean, we definitely just learned Being young, I think your brain can just retain information. The best way to learn sign language is to be around deaf people, and so we had so many opportunities to do that. And we just were young and just put ourselves out there. We both studied different things in college, and we both ended up wanting to use the skill that we had. And just really, it just kind of happened. I Mm -hmm. wouldn't say it was in the plan. I never, like, dreamed of doing it but I just kind of have always done it and mm-hmm. so I'm extremely grateful that I had that opportunity. Yeah, and
0: there's work available to you just about anywhere in the world well right. anywhere in ASL world American mm-hmm. Sign Language which unfortunately it's not universal. Right. But um, you went to Liberty University you started signing there talk a little bit about what happened at Liberty in signing.
1: Yeah I uh, needed to get a job when I got to Liberty it was my sophomore year and prior to going, just going for like the college for a week and things, I saw that they had interpreters and deaf students. So I reached out to the college and I remember they had me submit a video and my best friend, Sarah, videotaped me doing some interpreting work and we submitted it through the mail, snail mail. I, it's, that seems so foreign now. And um, they asked me to come and work for them. And so I interpreted for students' classes while I was also a student, that was my job. And I met some great people. That was, some of my best friends in college were deaf people and um, just had a great time doing it. And it was while doing that and I was studying elementary education that I realized I really love interpreting. I really love this, uh, the opportunities I had. And so I ended up coming home a couple years later and got a job right away in a local high school. And really the rest is history the i've had a lot of different opportunities always within interpreting and so um it's just a huge blessing
0: uh now some of the things that stick on my mind uh you in your freelance part of your job you've interpreted for some political things who are some of the people that you've interpreted yeah. for well
1: some of those people were what Rachel got to do um you know, you're probably mixing the t- things together. My two girls together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything that is televised on TV, political things, New York State things are things that we've had the opportunity to do. I remember doing a lot of Martin Luther King Day celebrations. Um, and it's always lots of fun to get to interpret with Rachel.
0: They call them the Sign Sisters.
1: Yeah, it, people will watch us, and we don't tell people that we're sisters. And about halfway through... Usually our deaf clients will say, are you guys related? <laughs> and uh, we have very similar signing styles and we continue to look more alike as we're aging, I think. And so um, that's always a lot of fun to get to team together. But yeah, we've, we've gotten to interpret elementary students all the way through PhD programs in a variety of settings. We've gotten to do medical appointments, um, interpreting for people giving birth. I know Rachel's had the opportunity to interpret for hospice care. And so really any aspect of your life and you need to communicate with people, we've had the chance to do that with for people. And it is an honor and really special relationships with our clients.
0: Now she's in uh, the public schools that she's been for a long time, but has a new uh, child and picked up at kindergarten level. Mm-hmm. Child didn't know sign language too much himself, correct? That's and right. so she's teaching the students sign language and the class is kind of watching and the class kind of learns a little bit about sign language and the teachers kind of do it. So, and then she has to motivate the parents to learn the language to speak to their children. And so kind of like the Anne Bancroft, Helen Keller type relationships develop with these, these students and where the parents need to get kind of come up uh, a few grades to learn to communicate to their kids. So give us a, uh, just a a little bit about what you've been doing the last few years with this young guy you got now?
1: Yeah. I um, I was transitioning out of a high school position a couple of years ago and it was the same school district and they said they were getting um, a deaf kindergartner and asked if I would be interested and I had never worked um, in an elementary school with a deaf child and so I went and had an interview with the parents and the teachers and uh, we all decided to give it a try. And so that was the fall of 2019, and I had never worked with um, a person that didn't know a lot of sign language and that wasn't fluent, and so I had to approach it completely different. had to use a lot of visuals. It was really challenging. Um, in ASL, one of the features is finger spelling, and if you can't read yet, you can't finger spell to someone, and so I really had to approach my job completely different, and It has been a lot of fun, and something that I never had planned for was the pandemic, and that happened that first year of this job, and I had never interpreted remotely, let alone to a five-year-old, and the teachers and myself and the parents, we just figured it out, and that school provided equal access for all of the lessons to the child, and I was able to be a part of that. I never lost a day's work, um, through the whole pandemic, and that's just a huge blessing when you are self-employed, and so it is a joy to go to work to get to teach not just the deaf child, but the whole class can basically can do some basic signs, the teaching staff can sign, so it's lots of fun, Um, and I can now fingerspell to the child because they can read and write, and so that's lots of fun, and he's becoming a lover of his language, and
0: I, last I heard he kind of loves his interpreter too, oh yes
1: he uh <laughs> he is very affectionate and lets me know every day how much he loves me and will miss me and I get lots of attention from him, so I'm loving the job,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's what what a thing and you know it's just just kind of overview we're gonna switch gears here, but just it isn't anything we had planned out it's just to get close to Jesus something shows up in your life, you pursue it, and you have no clue what was happening when you're signing up for those little classes in the summer with Diane Ritchie teaching my little girl's sign language. It, it turned into something really big. Mm-hmm. You just never know what, what God's got up his sleeve. And sometimes while he's doing it, you don't even realize uh, how big this is going to be. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. You're a PK. You grew up uh, as a preacher kid, we call it in in. Our world. And now you're the mother of uh, three uh, PKs, preacher kids. So uh, I want to kind of go back up to Word of Life where you met Chad. And, you know, for those of you listening, uh, Joanna and I literally dedicated Leah to Jesus before she was even born. And then uh, the day she was born, October 8th, 1978, we dedicated her. Now alive and breathing outside of the one we dedicated her to the Lord, and that day we dedicated her to the Lord privately. We also prayed for her husband, whoever he would be, that you'd bless him and and just work it all out. We've always prayed for the spouse of our children, and uh, so the, <laughs> so we fast forward, and Leah never broke our trust. Now our middleborn uh, broke our trust numerous times, but our firstborn and our thirdborn. Uh, Never broke our trust, and now here you are, the mother of an 18 year old, 16 year old, and 12 year old, 13
1: Three teenagers.
0: three teenagers. I pray for Miss Leah, <laughs> and uh, so far as I know, they've never broken right. your trust. And that in this world that we're living in, mm-hmm. that is a miracle. But the Bible says, Train up a child in the way you shall go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from. And that, that work for us and uh, we were very insecure raising you up. We came from a pretty tight legalistic background and Joel didn't wear a pair of pants for nine year, seven years, didn't have a TV, no secular music whatsoever in our home. We were really kind of a narrow, it took me a few years to loosen up a little bit, but uh, we did it with all of a heart. And now, here you guys have raised another generation. You have a, we just visited a Christian college yesterday. You have a 18 year old wants to be in ministry. Mm-hmm. You have a seven, sixteen-year-old boy that's musically gifted. Oh my goodness! And he wants to be in ministry. And so, um, just talk a little bit about uh, your word of life. Uh, your single girl. You're 18, turning 19. You're meeting this one guy, uh, last name Day. Don't want to embarrass anybody, but he came to visit us, and he was a great guy. But I could see that there was no sparks between you and and him but I kept hearing about this guy that was learning sign language. His name was Chad. And I told Leah, I said, I don't know who this Chad guy is, but that's the guy that's on your heart. And after only a couple of weeks later, I told and Leah's going to marry Chad. When I told you that you, you told me, no, I'm not. But, but daddy was right. So pick up that story a little bit.
1: Yeah. So we met, um, my freshman year, his sophomore year at word of life. And he is, just an amazing guy he's full of life and fun and life of the party kind of guy
0: he lights up a room <laughs> absolutely so
1: we um we started dating and getting to know one another. Uh, we ended up transferring to liberty after word of life, and he um was pursuing pastoral studies and I was pursuing elementary education and interpreting and we just started to fall in love with each other and um We got married in 2000 and Chad knew he wanted to be in ministry. And so we stayed in the Northeast and were part of a church plant and um, Chad got to serve there for 20 years. And so that, that was an amazing opportunity. And, um, yeah, he has a heart for God. He's a wonderful husband and father and leader, and he's just very consistent and loyal. And those are the things that attracted me to him.
0: He's an energy giver. He lit up around our table when he first started visiting. And I remember you said something to me. It's like, oh, dad, you'll love Chad. He's just like you. <laughs> and, I'm, and I've am and i gotten to know Chad a like lot. He's not a, at all like me, except he, he is a high energy guy. He's an energy giver. We, we that, I'd say we're the same there. And that he crazy loves you like I crazy love your mom. And I think that's. The only two things we have in common, our skill sets are totally different, but man, he's been a huge blessing to our family, and uh, he had done a summer internship with us at Word of Life. After second year, you need to do an internship, so he came to our place. I don't think it was the most exciting thing he ever had. to <laughs> Did a lot of weed whacking in the morning, and then we hooked him up with ministry opportunities in the afternoon and in the evening, but uh, we could see that God was moving. That was answer to our prayer, and you know, bring up a child in the way that you shall go. And we did that with the best of our ability. And we were insecure. Like, are we doing this right? And I don't want to be too loose and too tolerant, but I didn't want to be intolerant either. And when you're going through it, you, you don't really know. You're just praying for wisdom day by day and event to event.
1: Well, dad, and, uh, that's something that I've always admired about you is that you, you may have a set thing in your mind, but you always seek back to the scriptures and you always spend time in prayer and seeking wisdom. And so I mean, I remember when we were really young that we were in a more of a legalistic type lifestyle and belief system, but as you grew in your faith and got deeper into the scriptures, you started to make adjustments, and so um, I always knew that we could come to you and talk to you about things, Uh, Rachel and I especially, like, well, we want to do this, what do you think, and you helped guide us how to live in the world. And so we went to public school and we had to navigate that, um, playing sports. But the foundation of our whole life was centered on Christ. And you lived it out personally. Um, I know you and I had talked about how every morning when I would get up growing up, you were in the living room couch with your Bible open and mom was at the dining room table with her Bible open. And so you just modeled what it meant to be a Christ follower. And so I just always could trust you. I could trust your judgment and your, um, your authority and your decision-making and the same, now that I'm married, the same type of thing. I, I know my husband seeks after God. And so when he makes choices and decisions, we can easily follow. Um, we're raising our kids that are also in public school and our musicians and play sports and dance and, we have a lot of conversations and help teach them how to make choices as a Christ follower. And it takes time and growing, but you continue to grow. You didn't just get set in your ways. And I think that's what has made your parenting successful. And then you pass that down to us and you know, the proof's in the pudding. We have, you have a bunch of grandkids that
0: all being raised in nurture and admonition of the Lord, mm-hmm. and yeah, something that thrilled my heart. Often growing up, uh, you kids growing up in our home, I'd, I'd be out doing home Bible studies, and it'd be a school day. You were at home, and usually would be in bed by the time I got home, and um, there would be a sign or a little note on the table. Dad, wake me up early tomorrow morning. I need to talk to you. And you always did. Both of you, especially you, uh, would always come to me about what's going on in your lives that was a blessing. Mm -hmm. So I tried really, really hard growing up to have, we called it family altar and then I changed it to family church. And, uh, I think our really family church was dinner. That Mm -hmm. was a big deal at the dinner table. We did dinner together. We're foodies. We were just all out about good groceries, Mm -hmm. (laughs) significant groceries. My dad would say, what are your memories about dinner at our house?
1: Well, we always sat down at the table together. And that is something that is a lost art in our culture today, but it's something you have passed down to me and we we do it every night in our house as well. But that's a time where families can share what's going on in their lives and make a ton of memories and laugh and have intimacy and talk through some big things, things that kids face today. I mean, they're big issues and it's just a place you know that you're going to have that 30 minutes every day or that 45 minutes. And sometimes it can turn into a longer discussion, but it just is time. I mean, I can't remember not doing that as a family growing up and I've passed that down to my kids. They just expect it. And then the family altar and the family church time. That was something we did Saturday nights before church. Dad would spend a lot of time on saturdays just preparing for sundays to speak and so he wanted to spend time praying for you know to be anointed by the holy spirit to speak to share god's word and also to pray for the people that would be hearing god's word and so every saturday night he would gather us uh you know into the living room and get on our knees and pray and
0: And we would sing (laughs) yeah mostly silly songs and i'll (laughs) say
1: rachel and i were sometimes resistant to that um i think we did this before duke was born but
0: um we always did it
1: yeah so we were resistant, but looking back, I can see um I mean, it was so important to do, and it taught us to pray and really to think about others, and you know we would pray for things that people were going through, and so you just modeled that, and you know i've Chad and I've carried that into our ministry as well, you know putting others before our own needs and reaching out to people. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I did try to pull you in and of course the Bible studies and the homes you got attached to the children of the people that ultimately came into our church. Uh, There was one uh, event that was one of the most horrific events in our our church history. We had a suicide Mm -hmm. Uh, guy was going through an ugly divorce and um, he didn't want the divorce. He had a couple teenage children. The teenage daughter had received Christ was coming to our church and our youth group was growing she was in this home that was breaking up. It was, it was just horrific. And the father had received Christ and he, I baptized him. He was growing. He got onto this medication that people got on this medication and killed themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. And uh, this young gal was just a, um, uh, I won't call her name, um, uh, for just for the sake of, uh, you know, keeping things on the down low. But she, she was 17, a pretty little girl. And, and, loving Jesus coming to our church. And she found her daddy hanging in the uh, garage. The first one she called was not 911. It was, it was me. Mm-hmm. She called her pastor. And so we called, uh, the authorities to come and I took you jumped right in the car, take you with me. I tried to shield you from seeing the body. I don't think you saw the body mm-hmm. hanging in the garage. But I just didn't want that pretty 17-year-old girl uh, falling into my arms and waiting however long. It turned out to be almost an hour until anybody else arrived. We were we were first on the scene. So um, <laughs> you are about, what, 17 at the time? Yeah. I didn't shield you guys at all from the reality of ministry. And, uh, you know, there's mountaintops and there's valleys. This is a very deep valley. But give a couple thoughts about that.
1: I remember that day and the circumstances, and I just remember – You know, it was in the evening and you just said, Leah, we're going to go, you know, get your coat, let's go. And I remember driving over there and you saying, and me saying to you, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And you told me you don't have to say anything. You just are there for people and you just listen. And so, I mean, I was completely unprepared for that type of situation. You had
0: about a 10 second uh, preparation time and off we go.
1: Yeah. And so we went in and... I kind of follow your lead and you just bring a lot of peace to those situations that are chaotic and understandably so in that situation. And you just offer love and you let people cry out and vent and process it. And you just bring peace and calm because you're ushering in the Holy Spirit because he's within you and me. And we can just I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit was sent for as a comforter. And that's when the miracles happen that you experience because you allow for that opportunity. And so um, those, that type of situation and other things that, you know, you had shared with Rachel and I, that definitely has helped me, you know, today to minister to other women and other hurting families. Mm -hmm. Um, It prepares you for those, those things and just being there for people.
0: Yeah, we're able to comfort others by the comfort whereby we've been comforted of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So when you surrendered to do ministry, you uh, kind of had a clue what you were getting into. It gets kind of ugly sometimes. But uh, you had shared at our 40th anniversary of, of planting our church. Uh, you were the highlight of that uh, great service in our church four years ago. And he told a story about uh, growing up at, at Temple Baptist. It's called Church at Newtown Road today, but you grew up temple. And uh, the Lord had blessed. We bought land, built a little building. You don't probably remember the first building because you were only three years old. But then there was the addition in 86 and then uh, the, the new worship center. Mm-hmm. Talk us through a little bit about growing up temple and that big event and then how that transferred uh, into your generation.
1: Yeah, when I was 16 years old, uh, dad was building the what we call at Temple the big building, the new building. I mean, it's very old now, but um, I remember we lived just down the street, a quarter mile from the church, and while it was being built, um, every night after dinner, because we would sit together at the table, we'd uh, take a walk or get in the car, and we would go down to the church site and See what progress had been made and dad noticed every detail um, but we would just we were part of the process we were really excited for the first service the opening day of it and so um, that happened on Easter Sunday when I was 16 years old and I'll never forget that feeling um, the place was packed there was a buzz in the building um, it was just a huge building it, I don't even know how many square feet it is but it's know, hundreds it's of people. seats.
0: About 750, 800 people maxed out. And, and it, w- it was maxed out that day. <laughs> all the kids were sitting on the floor. We had a mishmash of all kinds of chairs, folding chairs. People brought in uh, lawn chairs just so people would have a place to sit. Yeah, there was a lot it of was energy. It. It, was a, it was a pretty exciting day.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So um, that was just, I was so proud of my dad that day and my mom for, you know, you can actually see fruition of their hard work. And proud of the people who built it and the people who supported the church to make it happen. And so I just I have really great memories of that day and a, kind of like a Christmas morning feeling for me. So fast forward to 2017 and Chad and I, the church plant that we were a part of, um, was finally getting to build a building. We had uh, rented locations for a long time. And the same situation happened after dinners we would get in the car and we would drive uh, about 10 minutes away to the site to see what uh, the building, how, how it was progressing. And, you know, it was like all fenced off and Chad would figure out how to get us in so we could see it. And We'd walk around and show the kids. And I mean, it was just reminiscent for me of back when I was a teenager. And so um, finally opening day came, it was in late November of seven, 2017 and Woke up that morning and I had the same feeling again Christmas morning and it was um, definitely unexpected. I was excited about it, but I didn't realize how many connections it was going to make for me because now my children were getting to experience another fruition of God's uh, favor and the hard work we had put into it with our pastors and with the church members and the church was a buzz. It was the same exact situation. I remember I was crying and I was getting ready for church that morning and I was texting my mom and dad and I was just saying, It's happening again. The next generation's getting to experience it. And what a blessing to get, that's a great way to get caught off guard, just watching what God has done. And this is the tangible. And my kids were getting to experience that. And I was so proud.
0: And I think your husband, Pastor Chad, was really kind of one of the main cogs in seeing that building get go up. Mm-hmm. And and uh, what what joy that was to see you celebrate the same thing that mom and I got to celebrate with you kids. You get to see it with your kids. I guess that's where it comes. What goes around comes around. Maybe that's mm-hmm. where that comes from. Or maybe God would say you reap what you sow. Maybe that's it too.
1: Absolutely. That was one of the things you taught us. I would say that's one of the great things of the Christian faith. You reap what you sow. Yeah. And so that is an absolute truth.
0: Yeah, and go big or what? Go home. <laughs> God's big. He's good. He loves us. Got stuff up his sleeve for us. Now you're raised as a PK and uh, now you've raised uh, three PKs and they're heading off in the right direction. And uh, so I just have a few thoughts about parenting and I want you to just jump in as, as things come in uh, to your mind. Uh, People say, well, what about parenting? They see that all three of my kids uh, have walked with the Lord and never seriously broken our trust at all. Uh, our middle child, Miss Rachel, she tested us, but she did really well. And they all serve in their local churches, and they're all great kids. Make us all proud. We love one another. We love God. We love people. And the Lord has used my kids in a great way. People say, what are the secrets to uh, parenting? Well, I, I don't know if there's any secrets. I think being genuine mm-hmm. uh, is important. That if w- We have to model what we're what we're trying to uh, teach our children but i go back to dinner that was our big time i tried to have family church in it i mean we prayed for the people and all that kind of stuff it was important but it wasn't where your heart was touched i think it was a dinner time we'd sing we'd be silly oh my goodness we would uh, um (laughs) we'd what do you call it we'd pantomime. that's not right word uh act like the people of the church. Rachel was extra What do you call that? Uh, mimic? I mimic. Don't know. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, impersonations. Impersonations, Yeah. Of, of yes. people in the church. And it was hilarious. And uh, so it wasn't all deeply spiritual, but it was fun, good food, and it was a place opportunity for the kids every day to sit down with mom and dad. And if there was something was bothering them, we'd talk it out. We'd all jump in and do it together as a family. So, and I know you guys have practiced that as well. Mm-hmm. And then also immersing our kids in the work. I, th- those are the things you've talked about. So I don't think there's anything, I think modeling it, dinner was huge. Uh, what was happening at dinner wasn't just the food, right. but what was happening at dinner. And then immersing you in into the work of God so you could see it. You could see God's hand mm-hmm. upon it. There's another moment kind of in light, you'd been married maybe a year or even less and you and Chad were uh, getting ready to be part of a church plant and it got delayed for a year and so Chad was working some I mean friendlies as a a waiter I mean he was humbled that's all part of our stories just being willing to do whatever you have to do you called me up wanted to get together with some financial problems I don't know if you remember this And so we sat down and as I was ready to try to counsel you through some of the financial issues that you had as a young couple, just getting started and discouraging time, I started to counsel and you stopped me. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that day and what you said?
1: Yes. I, I had already worked it out with God and remembered that he would provide for us. That is a promise in the Bible. And by the time my dad got there, I had already remembered it realized it and was taking, um, action to believe it. And so that is exactly what happened. God has been extremely faithful when he says he's going to provide for all your needs. He means it.
0: Yeah. I was kind of excited to step up and, and do some, uh, uh, counseling for mm-hmm. my daughter who's now married and heading into the ministry and Bible colleges behind them now and they're training and just waiting for the launch. And uh, you said, dad, I, I feel guilty for even asking you this. All I've ever seen God be is awesome to you and mom. And I know he'll be awesome to me and Chad. And so I don't need your counsel. I just need God. (laughs) And it wasn't long until, I don't know, a few weeks after that, you called me back and said, Hey, here's what God did. Mm -hmm. Worked it all out.
1: Faithful over and over again. And that is something we're passing down to our kids and, I call this my daughter's senior year and, you know, we're working out all the financials for college and all the details. And I said, oh, this is when the miracle is about to happen. We're committing by faith and we're going to work hard and we're going to live God's principles of debt free. And so we're just waiting for that to happen now. And so she's going to get to experience her own faith stories.
0: Yeah, we needed miracles, and we got, got here, and you were born, and uh, we needed just a series of miracles, and God did it. And then uh, you and Chad uh, come uh, find one another, and you jump in with both feet, and you need miracles. <laughs> and uh, God did it. now you've raised up Godly Seed, and they're heading off to prepare their lives for ministry. And what are we going to do now? <laughs> we're going to trust God who's got the whole wide world in his hands. There we go. There we go. Do you have any uh, uh, thoughts about parenting uh, that we haven't hit so far? Just something like, you know, people come to you all the time as, as a young mother and stuff. But uh, Yeah, you
1: know. I think that uh, the consistency in, in families that mom and dads are together, that, that is like imperative that you um, invest in your own marriage and that um, you are on the same page as you parent your children because they're watching you. Um, And then those families that don't have both parents for whatever reasons that um, you're just taking the time to connect with your kids. It doesn't have to be amazing vacations or trips or experiences, but slowing down from all the things that pull our time. I know like kids sports today, um, we've had, you know, to say no to some things so that we can spend time together as a family Uh, the days go so quickly and before you know it they're about to leave the nest and we're about to experience that and so that's something chad has always been really good at is to keep things in balance um you know three kids going in three different directions all of a sudden in a matter of two weeks you can be completely out of balance i think that's something the pandemic has taught all of us um that time during those few months of total shutdown you know we made some great memories Uh, great times together but as things have been opening back up that we're just we know how to spend time together and we know how to communicate and um I would say that's probably one of the best things about parenting and just the consistency and time I know you said modeling things I mean you telling them to do it and you're not doing it yourself waste Mm -hmm. of time
0: yeah (laughs) um they're watching us they're watching us very closely. And as they see a genuine walk with Christ and the joy of the Lord and the celebration of what God does in the hearts of other people, people getting saved. And you saw that growing up uh, family after family came to Christ and you got to know their kids. We saw them baptized we launched other churches. And of course you became part of central to one of the uh, church plants out of uh, temple and uh, have given your life to continue that dream where there was one church. Now there's eight churches and, um, you know, several thousand people each week hearing the gospel around the capital district, which uh, Barna survey says is the darkest uh, city in America. So what, what a great place to be. Well, I, I just think of uh, you growing up in church, um, making the best, never breaking our trust. And now uh, here you are a generation later, kind of in the same situation your mother was in. I've seen you be willing to go without and uh, seen you trust God for everything. And I've seen him bless you. And now you're in a transition time of your lives. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's next? And uh, so I'd like our podcast uh, listening family to be praying for Chad and Leah. Uh, They're going to be knocking on doors of what's next for them in ministry after 20 years in one place. God has made it clear it's time to go somewhere else. So our family unit all been together at at, uh, every Thanksgiving, every Easter, every Christmas, every birthday for all these years. And now God's breaking up our nest. But we pray as we go different ways that will be impact families and the churches that God will have us to be a part of in the future, and so it's been good, good, good. Do you have a final thought before I wrap it up?
1: Just want to tell you I love you, Dad. Oh shucks! Thanks for having me on this. This is totally out of my comfort zone, and I hope it's been a blessing to people. And I know you you bless people every week and our family every day. So just want to say I love you.
0: Oh shucks. <laughs> From my firstborn, Miss Leah Clem. I hope it's been a blessing. Can you tell my am a proud papa? I'm not hiding that very well, am I? But hey, thanks for being part of my podcast family. And uh, keep praying. America seems to be falling apart, but really it's not. It's all come together. Jesus said what we should expect. He wasn't kidding. It's here. Just remember, we're on the winning team. So hey, Leah, thanks for joining me today. And uh, within a matter of weeks. This will be up all around the world. Our friends from Sweden can listen in. Hurmardu, Sweden, uh, love you. Bye-bye for now.